I believe in the efficacy of dreams. Um, I think they mean uh, something to us. And one of our tasks in life is to figure out what they do mean. I'm Jordan Kistner, author of the essay collection, Thin Places. And this is Thresholds, a weekly series of conversations with writers and artists about moments of epiphany or transformation that changed their lives and their work. A moment that they stepped across, like a threshold, into something new. And the way that experience changed everything they wrote afterward. And Scott Mobaday is a Kiowa novelist, short story writer, essayist, poet, and painter. His first novel, Housemaid of Dawn, won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1969 and brought attention to him as a leading figure in what critics called a Native American literary renaissance. Since then, he's published too many books to name here. But among them is a very well-regarded memoir, The Way to Rainy Mountain, and many works of poetry, novels, plays, mixed medias, and paintings. In 2020, he published Earthkeeper, Reflections on the American Land. And in addition to the Pulitzer Prize, Momaday has been awarded lots and lots of honors, including a National Medal of Arts, an Academy of American Poets Prize, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and 12 honorary degrees. I got to speak with him briefly from his home. Unfortunately, we had a pretty bad internet connection, so it wasn't as long a conversation as we'd hoped, but what we got was pretty wonderful. We talked about his time at Stanford, his love of Emily Dickinson, and his new collection of poems and paintings called Dream Drawings. I was teaching on an Indian reservation at the time. I had graduated from Uh, undergraduate school, and I was teaching on the Hickory Apache Reservation in northern New Mexico. And a friend of mine had applied for the, he was telling me, told me by phone that he was going to apply for the Stanford Creative Writing Fellowship. And I applied, and I was, I won it. And so it made a, it was a wonderful experience and made a great difference in my life. And uh, I've always been grateful for that. Well, it was it was a strange experience for me because I I was uh, on the Hickorya Apache Reservation and uh, completely uh, without sophistication, and suddenly I was in the presence of graduate students and faculty who were extremely um, uh, ca- capable, and uh, you know I'd, I'd never been in that presence before, and so. It was a little scary, but uh, I managed to I managed to get through it, and it made a great difference. How do you think it changed your writing? Did it change your writing? Yes, uh, it did because I had not I had written what I thought of as poetry, but I it turns out that I knew very little about the English traditions of poetry, and so I learned a great deal while I was at Stanford. And uh, I had written what I think of as oral tradition. Uh, Much of my poetry included elements of oral tradition, Native American oral tradition. So I thought of that as my poetry. But when I got to Stanford, I was schooled in traditional forms of English poetry, and I incorporated that in my writing, and I think it made a good difference. I, I found several poets uh, who, who, uh, whose work I came to admire a great deal. Wallace Stevens 
was one, and uh, probably foremost was Emily Dickinson. I had read some of her work, but at Stanford, I got a deep, uh, uh, deep familiarity with her work. And I think she's probably the best uh, poet in English of the 19th century. And I, I went to, I went to uh, by the way, I went to, uh, to uh, for my uh, dissertation, I read Emily Dickinson in manuscript. I had a Guggenheim Fellowship, and I went to Amherst, Massachusetts, and read her in manuscript. So, and there are 1,775 poems, so it was quite a task, but I, I enjoyed doing it. Do you feel like there was something of Dickinson's work that became a part of your work after that? Well, there was an appreciation of nature, especially, which I had already accumulated because that's a large part of Native American tradition. But I, I admired the way she looked at the landscape and uh, how, how, how she dealt with it in a very uh, economical way. She was very uh, precise in her, in her expression. There, there's nothing really extraneous in it. So I learned that, and I came to admire her a great deal. You know, D Emily Dickinson lived in a house on Main Street in Amherst, Massachusetts. And across the street from her home was a meadow. And she loved to go there and just breathe the air and, and investigate the kind of life she found there. And she wrote a poem about crickets. And in it, she talks about the, the sound she hears at her feet. And she wonders what it is. And uh, it, something interesting is going on. And she writes, further in summer than the birds, pathetic from the grass, a minute nation understands its unobtrusive mass. No ordinance be seen, so gradual the grace, a pensive custom it becomes, enlarging loneliness. Antiquist felt at noon, when August burning low, arise this spectral canticle, repose to typify. Remit is yet no grace, no furrow on the glow, yet a druidic difference enhances nature now. It's a, that is a profound, profound understanding of nature. She, she wants uh, the moment not to pass. It's a poem about evanescence. She wants the moment not to pass, but even as she expresses that desire, it does pass. High noon, <clears throat> the crickets at high noon, that, that goes away. And she says, remit is yet no shadow on the, on the, on the, on the grace. Let no, let no shadow cross upon the sunlit landscape. It's just a magnificent poem, one of her, one of her greatest, I think. I, I must, I should point out that I think it's a mistake to try to, to uh, imitate Emily Dickinson. 
she writes of a she writes in a way that uh, cannot be imitated easily, if at all. So I learned that that was the important that was an important lesson. One of the things that I had wanted to talk to you about was writing about nature. Um, that feels like such a an undercurrent of your work, or not even an undercurrent. It just feels like a current of your work um, throughout your many many books. But it's something that feels especially present in in this new collection, Dream Drawings, and in your last book, Earthkeeper. And I am curious to hear you talk about why, what, what writing about the remembered Earth means to you at this point in your career and in your writing life. Well... The, the Native American has always had a keen understanding of and appreciation of the landscape, nature. And, uh, you know, uh, the Native American has been on the North American continent for, we don't know, maybe 30,000 years. And in that tenure, he has learned to be a kind of... Uh, multiple-use conservationist and has uh, uh, acquired a great understanding of, of the natural world and how to live in harmony with it and protect it. And that today is something that very much interests me. I want to do what I can to preserve the earth because the earth is in danger. So I'm, I, I think my writing contributes to that uh, that uh, task, and I'm proud of that, and I want to continue it. How has your relationship to nature, or to the landscapes that live in your mind and that you live in in the world, um, changed in the last? You know, changed changed over time. Well, I took it for granted. Yeah, I, I uh, grew up in the southwest in canyon country and mountain country, very beautiful, very beautiful uh, landscape. And I took it for granted, uh, as, as one does, but I've come to understand having left that landscape, uh, the, the one in which I was a child, and in my adulthood I've, uh, I've experienced a different kind of landscape. And the difference has made me understand more about how it was when I was growing up. And so I, I want us to return to that uh, uh, if I can. What can you see now about the landscape of your childhood that you felt like you couldn't see then? Uh, I, I appreciate more being close to it, being in it. Uh, you know, I grew up on Indian reservations in the Southwest. And it's such a rich experience. I, uh, I grew up first on the Navajo reservation, and I lived on the two of the Apache reservations. And for the longest period of time, I lived at the Pueblo of Jemez uh, in north central New Mexico. All of those are beautiful landscapes. And I sometimes think, oh, you know, I want to go back I want to go back and visit the Navajo landscape because the colors of the earth there are so rich 
and the landscape is so vast and it's full of uh, it's full of sacred uh, material sacred uh, people who understand the sacred nature of the landscape and that is extremely important in our time especially so i think of uh, various places in my childhood and i i understand how important they were to to me they fashioned my writing and i think i learned uh, while i was growing up to appreciate the landscape in such a way that i could write about it accurately and precisely and uh, i wouldn't i think have been able to do that had i not grown up in that landscape and observed the kind of life that was lived there by native people I'm hoping we can turn now to talk a little bit more more specifically about dream drawings, which I really loved. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit about the process of writing it and of putting it together. Um, how did you assemble these pieces over time? I had a great many things in my mind when I started writing that book. Um, I'm, I'm very conscious of dreaming, and I believe that I believe in the efficacy of dreams. Um, I think they mean uh, something to us, and one of our tasks in life is to figure out what they do mean. Uh, and so I started writing these dream drawings. I think of them as dream. I think of them as drawings. I'm also an artist, by the way. That has something to do with it. That is a graphic artist. So I paint and and uh, draw. And it was great fun to put the two things together, the, the literary aspect of it, the writing, and then to think about what I had dreamed, what might uh, serve as, uh, as dreams, and um, then uh, illustrating them in such a way that they are visual in my mind. So that's, in a nutshell, how I put that book together. I think it's a matter of moving between the two uh, fluently uh, now. I, I come by both uh, expressions, painting and writing, honestly, because my father was a, a, a painter and a very good one. And my mother was a, a writer and someone who was greatly uh, in, 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 involved in the English language. She had a great understanding of the King's English and passed it on to me, I think, or tried to, and I tried to, I tried to gather as much of, of that as I could from her. And I, I did uh, learn to, to express myself in both ways because of my parents. 
And it seems to me that they go together for me quite quite naturally. I and I and as for as for the kind of uh, time I spend with each, I write more than I paint. And I I think it's maybe because I find writing so much more difficult. It's a much more concentrated kind of experience. I can uh, I can listen to a ball game when I'm painting, but I can't when I'm writing. Writing requires much more discipline. So I, I managed to do both things. I, I probably spend about two-thirds of the, my time writing as opposed to one-third painting. I was hoping that I could ask you to read aloud for us one of the pieces from Dream Drawings, um, or one from Earthkeeper if you prefer it. Um, would that be okay? Is there is there a piece you might consider reading? I'd be happy to suggest one. You know, uh, I would be happy to do that, but my eyesight is so poor that I don't do it easily on Zoom or, or spontaneously. But if I could ask my daughter to maybe read a piece, and then I could talk about it as you'd like. That would be wonderful, if she wouldn't mind. This piece is out of Dream Drawings, and it's called Ownership. I lived in a house in a canyon. Great cliffs rose up on either side, and one of them, sheer, white and dun and rose-colored, was especially beautiful. When the slanting light of the afternoon sun ascended on the face of it, I was made to hold my breath. It is simply good to reside in the presence of such a thing. It sustains the spirit. There was a young man, a drifter, who worked for me one summer. We spoke of the cliff and he said, it belongs to me. I don't own it, but it's mine. I thought about this and I came to see the wisdom in it. True ownership does not consist in titles and deeds. It is assumed by a claim made in the heart and it is purchased with love and respect. The cliff is his as it is mine. For some years, I lived uh, in a little village called Hamus Springs, uh, north and west of Albuquerque in New Mexico. Beautiful canyon country. And um, the house in which I lived was in a canyon, and there was a great uh, red and white cliff looming uh, to the east side of it. And I, I, as I say, I take these things for granted. I enjoyed it. I liked sitting out, looking at it, and so on. But my friend, with whom I was visiting one evening, the man who worked for me, uh, put it in that way, and I had never thought about, yes, it, uh, I don't own it, but it's mine. And I think that idea of the landscape and of nature is very important. We can't own it, 
in in every sense, but we can it can belong to us as it does, and we belong to it. The concept of belonging is very important to me in in both my my painting and my writing. I I like thinking of the landscape as mine, whether I own it or not. So that's how that came about. He said that it, it did something to me and I reacted to it in a positive way. And I've always thought of that. What would you say to people who want to develop more of that kind of a relationship to land and to nature? I think there are a lot of people who want to feel more connected to the land around them and to nature than they do, and they struggle to feel like they belong to it or like it belongs to them, that there's a mutual belonging. What would you say to those people who are trying to develop that belonging for themselves? I would say to them, get out in it, travel, experience as much as you can of of the natural world and uh, lay claim to it, lay claim to it. I think in the, in the ordinary uh, passage of, of, uh, of our lives, we, we uh, see too little of the earth. You know, we, we are hemmed in by concrete and uh, skyscrapers. And so we need to break away from that, that uh, environment and get out into the natural world and see something of the the trees and the mountains and the rivers and the animals. All of this uh, is a profound experience. And, and uh, so that's what I'd, I'd say to them. Experience it, get out, reach for it, gra- gra- take, grasp it, take it to, into your hearts. And it makes a great difference. Threshold is a production of Lit Hub Radio. We're produced by Drew Broussard and Justin Alvarez. Music and editing by Laura Faye Oshwood of Arthur Moon. Our art is by Kirsten Huber. Special thanks to Farrar Strauss and Drew. I'm Jordan Kistner. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jordan.kistner. We'll see you next week. <laughs>